recognizing this as an invitation, as a path to focus on Christ, who said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, as an invitation to acquire Christ's peace. Now, why would that happen? Well, if our peace is dependent on or built on the U.S. government and the Republicans and the Democrats getting along, that's what our peace is built on. We're going to have some problems. If our peace is built on knowing the future, what's going to happen? We're going to have some trouble. If our peace is built on our children getting along, we're going to have some problems. If our peace is built on our spouse agreeing with us, we're going to have some difficulty. If our peace is built on having quiet in your home, none of that is the peace of Christ. Because the peace of Christ is an internal peace independent of external factors. Christ's peace is built on Christ himself, our closeness to God, our recognition and our faith that God is in control. That God works all things toward good for those who love him. That Christ tells us in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We know that Christ doesn't promise us a struggle-free life. He doesn't promise us, you know, sunny days. What he does promise us is that I will be with you. That I am with you. So to recognize parenting in a pandemic, we need to recognize that Christ's peace is our goal. Christ is our foundation. And Christ's promise is to be with us. So when we struggle internally, we need to figure out how do I turn towards Christ? Number two, when we struggle, we might want to reflect, where am I looking? I'm looking at my kids not behaving. I'm looking at my adolescent kid back-talking me or being stubborn. I'm looking at my spouse not behaving the way I think a spouse should be. I'm looking at the bishops not doing what I think the bishop should be doing. I'm looking at the governor not doing what the governor I'm looking at the president not doing. And notice, I've taken my eyes off of Christ. And so we learn from the gospel that when that happens, the virus of fear spreads within us. So the first step in talking about how do we parent in this time is to recognize that parenting starts with who I am and the path that I'm on. Parenting is about recognizing that my goal is not to solve my kid's problems, but to walk with my child on this path of growing closer to Christ, no matter what struggles come our way. But I, it needs to start with who I am and how I live. Because the most effective parenting tool we have is how we live. So the first step in talking about parenting is that inner, our inner lives. When do we lose our peace? Do we blame other people for our lack of peace? If you kids would just quit fighting, I would have peace. Right? If if the Democrats and Republicans just had a healthy conversation, I could have peace. If my spouse just agreed with me, I could have peace. Or for Father Nick, if the parishioners just did what I said, I could have peace. But notice that's how that's a lie. St. Nicodemus said, that's the life of the devil. Because it's a trick. 
to get us to blame and judge and keep our eyes off of Christ. So beware of when you lose your peace to recognize where are my eyes. So when we think about parenting, especially during the parenting during a pandemic, I really want to talk about these steps of parenting because I, a lot of understanding the path of parenting is in the book. But after I wrote the book, you know, people said, well, give me some steps. I want some steps to parenting. And I was like, you can't make parenting into steps. And they kept saying, we just want steps. I like the theory. That's great theory. All right, peace. That's good. All right. Give me some steps. So after so much pressure, I said, okay, okay, I'll give you some steps. Right. So when we think about parenting, you think about what your kids are struggling with. You could choose any particular example. Your child is back talking. Or your child comes to you and says, I want to visit my friends. I miss my school. Right? These are unsolvable problems. Or your sibling rivalry. Step number one is take a deep breath and say a prayer. Take a deep breath and say a prayer. Why? Because we need to take our fears and frustrations seriously. We just cannot take them out on our children. We need to take our feelings of being overwhelmed seriously. We just can't take them out on our children. It's really tough when you're home with your kid all day and you've got all this work to do and they need you to be there. And, you know, the more at home you are, sometimes the less you can have that nice little connecting time. We need to stay grounded in what's true and what's real. And what's true and real is that Christ tells us, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That the struggles we face as followers of Christ are not problems that we need to solve, but a path we're invited to walk. We need to remind ourselves of that. And we do that. Step one, take a deep breath and say a prayer. We take a deep breath just to calm our bodies down. Because when we get that virus of fear or anxiousness or blame or judgment, we get tense. And when we get tense, we cut off our good judgment, we might call it. We lose access to our free will. We get into our reactive mode. And God gave us free will and the ability to choose love. Right? The animals don't have that. But when we get anxious and intense or fearful, we cut off that very thing that distinguishes us from the animals. The ability to choose love. And when we're anxious and tense, we start acting like animals. When we lose that faculty, that noose, that soul, the reasoning, the good judgment, we start acting like animals when we react. So the first step is to take a deep breath and say a prayer. The breath calms our body down. And prayer, what do I mean by prayer? Right? Well, number one, the church offers a whole liturgical life. That we prayer is all about connecting our home to the church and the church to our home. That really there's no solution to fear except love. There's no solution to anger except forgiveness, patience. You know, there's no solution to the struggle except long-suffering. And we find that the whole of what the church reveals to us, what Christ invites us to, is to seek the kingdom of God. To pursue those virtues of patience. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, mercy, compassion, long-suffering. And to do that, we need God's grace. And as Orthodox, we encounter God profoundly in the liturgy. We open our hearts to receive his grace when we connect our homes to the liturgical life. That's important all the time. It's particularly important during a pandemic. 
Because really what the pandemic has challenged us to do are the things we should do normally, but just now we need to be strict. We need to be strict because we need God's grace in a more powerful way because the storms are you know, really powerful. We don't, we don't recognize how, how much we need prayer and how much we need God when it's a nice sunny day, we all go to church, we go out to a nice little restaurant for lunch, and then we go home and we watch football or something. Yeah, you can go the entire day without thinking about God once. But when you can't go to church, or there's not enough money to go out to lunch, and everyone's home, you know, and everyone's stressed, that's when we need to be more strict. In many ways, this is why God allows these things, to invite us to reflect, what is our peace built on? So we say in a prayer, number one, connect to the church. Number two, a rule of prayer. A rule of prayer. Because our souls, like our bodies, needs regular exercise. If you're going to sit around on the couch all day and then sit at your desk at work and then sit at the couch in the evening, our bodies don't do well without exercise. It's hard to exercise, but the more we push ourselves to do what's healthy for our bodies to exercise, the better we feel. The better we think, the better everything works. Our souls, in much the same way, were created for prayer. It's hard to do a morning prayer. It's hard to do an evening prayer. I want to suggest it's the hardest thing. It's easier to go to a gym than to go before your icons and say the Our Father. But that struggle gets our souls in shape. It nurtures our inner life. And that's the place where we receive the Holy Spirit. That's where we acquire patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So developing a prayer rule just in the morning, first thing you do is check your cell phone. Well, create a rule of prayer. During the pandemic, it's really important. The first thing you do is do not touch your cell phone. Make the sign of the cross, venerate an icon, or say the Jesus prayer. 10 seconds, 15 seconds, such that our day begins with prayer. And before we go to bed, make the sign of the cross. So just some sort of prayer rule in the morning. Because it reminds us we are focusing on Christ. What does that mean? It means building that connection through prayer. Intercessory prayer during the day when you're overwhelmed. Ask God for help. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on my child. Intercessory prayer. And then maybe the Jesus prayer. What the church reveals to us and what the monks really model for us is that prayer can be just like breathing. And that's really important because we can't solve the problems that come our way, but we can learn to turn towards God. That requires us, when we think about taking a deep breath and, and uh, prayer, it, it, we need some quiet time because family stuff is nonstop. It's really hard, 24-7. We need some quiet time to reorient ourselves. Maybe to have a time in your week or a time in your day where you're reading some writings about the inner life, about the fathers of the church, the saints, or maybe the scriptures. And then part of attending to our inner lives as parents, it's really important, is we need to share with someone what we're fearful about, what we're frustrated by, what we're overwhelmed by. That we are not wired to go through this alone. We're not called to go through this alone. Remember, Christ doesn't promise us easy, but he promises us that he'll be present. And that presence he gives us is the body, his church, to invite Father into your inner struggle, to invite mature friend into your struggle. That if this is not a problem that we need to solve, but a path we're going to walk, we need to learn to share. This is what happens to me. 
then we start understanding, well, what's God's role in this pandemic? We see, well, how do we answer to our kids? Did God cause this? Did God, uh, why is this allowing it? Well, what we can tell our children and remind ourselves that many times we don't know and we don't understand. But that's an invitation to trust that God is in control and God understands and he will be with us, which means our task is whatever struggles come our way to learn how to pray, to learn how to confess, to share our struggles and to grow and deepen our love for God. Because really what the pandemic is revealing is how much my peace depends on my comfortable life. And what all the conflict in our community and our society really reveals is how much I tend to judge people who disagree with me. I call them crazy. That's not love. That's not the call. So the pandemic reveals our souls, reveals where we need healing. And it's hard. It is hard. In this world, you will be, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Drive overcome the world. Why would he say be of good cheer? Well, for an Orthodox, that doesn't mean we should be happy about the struggles. What it does mean is if we look at all these things that we've talked about, my impatience, you know, my judgment, you know, my peace that's external, it's built on kids getting along. Really imagine if I accept this invitation and draw close to Christ so that I acquire a peace that even when my kids are fighting, I feel a peace that enables me to go to step two, which is draw close and check in. Imagine if I have Christ's peace so that even, you know, you see the political discourse and the, the violence in the streets, I'm not afraid. I pray for that. I understand what to do. I vote, you know. I engage in, in public discourse peacefully. Imagine if I acquire Christ's peace so much that when my spouse disagrees with me, I can be curious and say, tell me more, rather than, how come you think that? Because what Christ gives us, it says, take my yoke upon you. It is easy and light. Because Christ lifts our burden when he fills us with his peace. That we can come into a home, no matter how the kids are behaving, or how much money's in the bank, or what our spouse thinks, we feel Christ's presence and peace. Wouldn't that be nice? That is God's desire for us. Not that we have an easy life, but that we are transformed so that no matter what happens, we have that peace. And when we have that peace, it enables us to have intimacy and closeness with God and with others. And it's particularly important for parenting in the home because when the parent stays grounded in Christ and peace, no matter what the kids are doing, melting down, tantrums, back-talking, fighting, they're just going to be learning. For a child to feel out of control or be damaged, that can only happen when the parents lose their peace. And I see this in my home. There can be chaos in the kids, but if I'm staying grounded in everything I've said, we just navigate through it and they kind of forget about it. And they say, well, let's go outside. But when they see dad lose his peace, then it's like, whoa, there's a problem. Or when dad and mom lose our peace, that's what's really damaging. So the invitation to parent is step one. Take a deep breath and say a prayer. And during the pandemic, 
become preoccupied with how do I confess my struggle, how do I um, share, and how do I learn to seek the kingdom. So step two, draw close and check in. Whatever your children are struggling with, when you see backtalk, you know, when they, too much tech, when they're fighting, when they share, I'm lonely, or I want to go to my friend's house to play, after you take a deep breath and say a prayer, you check in. Because we can't solve the struggle, but we can solve the problem of our children going through the struggle alone. Parenting is not about protecting our children for struggle. It's about preparing our children for struggle. Because we want to raise up children who, when they are adults, and God knows how crazy the world is going to be then, we, don't, we want them to be filled with that peace we've been talking about. Not to get infected by the virus of fear or judgment or anger, blame. And God is going to give them children's struggles to I'll invite them to acquire these things. Because when we think about our goal as parenting, it's toward the kingdom. It's to, we want kids who have acquired patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. And there's only one way to acquire these things, and that's in the struggle. So our role as parents is not to solve their struggles, but to prepare them for struggles. And we do that by drawing close. Because when you draw close to a child who struggles, whether they backtalk you and you just, you're curious, what's upsetting you? Or they're isolating themselves. They don't want to go to church. We can say, well, tell me, what do you think? It communicates to the child that I am more concerned about who you are and what you're learning than about how you behave. Because the temptation in parenting is when our kids misbehave, we see a problem that we need to fix. Or we think that parenting is about getting our kids to do the right thing. Or getting them to behave so we can have peace. Remember? That's not really peace. That's control. We can't get our kids to behave so we have peace. We have to learn to love, turn to Christ so we have peace and learn to love our children as they learn how to get along. And that communicates to a child that I am on your side. I respect you. I respect your learning. It's not okay to hit. It's not okay to yell. And you have to go to church. But I respect you as you learn how to do these things. So we draw close. It communicates care. Parenting is about drawing close to our children in their struggle as they learn, which means it has to do with listening, checking in with them before you correct them. It has to do with being peaceful and being present and being silent. Focus more on being present in your children's lives than correcting their behavior. Now, it's a problem because a lot of the problems my kids bring to me, I really can't solve, and I'm a trained professional. But I can't solve it. My child says, you know, I'm hurt by my brother. Or I can't go to school or I'm angry about this. Or I, What I can do is I can solve the problem of my child being alone. Because I know what my child needs to learn. My child needs to learn patience, kindness, gentleness. And my goal is to help them learn that. And we all know it's so much easier to learn these things when we feel like we have someone on our side. Someone who understands us. Someone who cares about us. And that's the goal of parenting, is that relationship we build with them through the struggles. Step number three. So step number 
one, take a deep breath, say a prayer. Step number two, draw close and check in. Step number three is empathize. Empathize. We want to name their struggle. The way I started this talk, my goal was to name the struggles that we're all having. I can't, I'm not going to pretend this COVID thing isn't hard. I'm not going to pretend our political discourse isn't completely insane. I'm not going to pretend that this country doesn't have huge things that really are problematic. No, I'm not going to pretend that's not scary. And I'm sure not going to pretend that it's not overwhelming to parent kids. Yeah. I'm going to empathize. I'm going to name it. Because what we need, when you name someone's struggle, it really communicates, I'm on your side, I care, I understand. And when we feel like someone is understands and cares, it actually enables me to be more patient and be more kind and recognize that. Essentially, we're communicating that type of love, not a love that fixes but a love that draws near. And consider what God does for us. Whose love are we modeling to our children? When we don't, we're not there to make their lives easy, but we're there to be with them through the struggle. What we're communicating to our children is this is the nature of God's love. And no matter what we do, you know, he's not going to condemn us. He's going to draw close. He's going to invite us to repent. No matter what mistakes we make, no matter what we're learning, He's going to, he loves us, and nothing we can do can change that. So when we think about drawing close and naming the struggle, you know, which means name the feelings, separate the behaviors, name the feeling. It really communicates that type of empathy, that type of compassion um, that allows our child to know that you are not alone, that we are on this journey together. So step three, empathize. You should expect learning, not mastery. Because sometimes when our kids misbehave, we say, oh my gosh, you should not be doing this. That's not okay. Or when they struggle, they say, this is not okay. And we look down try and correct their behavior so it never happens again. When in fact, growing up as a child is a time for learning. That we should expect that our children are learning how to get along, learning how to listen to us, learning how to stay off tech, learning what to do when they're sad, learning what to do when they struggle. If we expect mastery, we end up criticizing and condemning them for having to learn. But as parents, we need to expect learning. Because we want to teach our kids that learning is what we do as followers of Christ. And the best way to communicate that is by modeling that. The Greek word for student is mathetis. That's the word used in the Bible that's translated into English as disciple. So every time in the New Testament we read this, the, when we read the word the disciples of Christ or the disciple followed him, the Greek word is actually mathitis, which is student. To be a follower of Christ is to be a learner. And this is how I started my talk. What are we learning now? We are learning how to trust in God when we're scared. We're learning how to trust that God's in control even when we're not. We're learning how to accept the invitation that my peace is grounded in Christ, not my ability to predict the future. If we are learning, then maybe the virus isn't the enemy. Maybe, maybe COVID-19 is a teacher. Maybe we can think about the virus not in some war against the virus, or maybe thinking about the virus as teaching 
No, the virus isn't going to teach us. Really, it's more accurate, I think, to say God is going to help us learn something through this problem we can't solve. But when we think about the virus as an enemy and we got to stop it, that understanding loses sight of everything we just said we believe. That we are called to be learners. We are called to be disciples, not the test. So we want to teach that to our children. We want to allow our children to have that. And we want to embrace that in our own lives. So step three, empathize. It is hard. Name the feelings. It is a struggle. It's hard to have siblings. And then step four, set the limit or point the way. Step four, point the way. What do you do? You just guide your child. What do you do? This is what we do. We're patient. What do you do when your sibling does this? We need to forgive. What do we do when I uh, am sad that I can't go to my friend's house? Would you like a hug? What do we do? We share. It's hard. And maybe we brainstorm solutions. That's kind of maybe the action step. Sometimes we give a consequence. I understand you're angry, but you may not hit. If if you hit, I'm going to have to separate you. Step four is a consequence. So step four is point the way, set a limit, or a consequence. It's kind of the action plan, right? But remember two things. It's the fourth step, not the first step. And number two, remember, this. there's really no solution to, I want to go to school, but I can't. What's the action step? Well, the action step actually was what we just did. No matter what you're struggling with, I want you to know your mom or your dad is somewhere you can come. And I'll hear your pain, and I'll walk with you. And that act of openness is such an act of intimacy that our children will actually feel better. So notice... When we think about what our role is, it requires us to be really become preoccupied with step one. But even if we do all these steps, we're really not going to solve the problem. Our kids will still want to go on tech. They're going to get on in about a half hour. They're still not going to want to go to church. They still can't go to school, and it's still hard. And we still have an election coming up that's still hanging over our We haven't solved anything. Because the goal of parenting is not to solve the problem but to love the person and to walk alongside. But you know, the funny thing is, we can say this, right? That this is God is with us and we can learn from this. It's a little bit like when I forced my kids to go to bed. You know, I remember when they were 10, 11, 12, and I was like, Marcos, it's 9.30, time to go to bed. You know what Marcos never told me? Never once did he look at me when I said, Marcos, time to go to bed. He never said, you know what, Dad? Thank you so much. I really appreciate you setting that limit for me. You know, because I know, Dad, it's really hard for me to make these decisions on my own. But I know that this will really enable me to make good decisions growing up. This will allow me to learn self-control and self-discipline. And this is going to help me learn to manage my own life. I really appreciate that, Dad. How come my son never told me that? Every time I tell them, you got to make your bed before you go out to play, they never once told me, how you did that. I appreciate that. That's really going to help me learn self-discipline. My kids are so unappreciative. What can I say? Do you know why they don't tell me that? Because from their perspective, they're lost in what they want. They're lost in their desires. They're lost in their ideas about what's good. They're drawn towards what's easy and comfortable. They're going to resist the pain of struggle, of learning to make your bed before you go out to play. The pain and struggle of disciplining yourself to go to bed even though you want to stay up. 
they can't see beyond their little world of things they like and things they don't like, things that are easy and things that are hard. If they could see that they had a loving dad, if they could trust that their loving dad only does what's good for them, they might reply with gratitude. Not that they like the struggle, but with gratitude. But they can't do that because they're 12 years old. However, us as adults, do we have a loving father who actually loves us more than I love my kids? Do we have a God we can trust to do what's good and right more than my kids can even trust me? Do we have a father who's all-knowing? All right, as much as I'm knowing, because I tell my kids I'm pretty all-knowing with them. But no, in my parenting, I don't even know everything But I need if they trust me. But we have a God who knows all things, controls all things, has authority over all things to work towards good. And if we knew that, and if we acted on that, and if we believe that, when he's sending us to bed when we don't want to, when he's making us clean our bedroom instead of going out, when he gives us, when he allows things that are hard for us, the most powerful act of faith is to confess our struggle. I don't like this. But to say thank you, gratitude. Not gratitude for the struggle, but gratitude that he loves us and he's with us through the struggle. And when we turn our hearts from fear and judgment and anger toward faith and trust and gratitude, it doesn't do anything about the COVID-19 virus, but it absolutely stops that spiritual virus that has the potential to damage us way more than that pandemic. So Father, at this time, I want to open it up to you for any questions to see, all right, if this is our understanding of parenting, you know, you've got some questions or some specifics that we can look at to, um, to think about how would this apply in, 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 in real life. Thank you very, very much, Dr. Mamalakis. We have a number of questions that were issued to us previously. I have a feeling that a lot of them have been answered by what you said, and maybe not necessarily answered specifically, but you're giving the path uh, you know, on, on how, to, how to find these things. That, that is, is one of the main things I'm drawing from this, too. And I just want to remind the people, too, to make sure that if there's a question that is on your minds right now, please write it in the chat uh, on the screen, and that way we can get them in real time, okay? Um, so I'm going to start with uh, some of the questions that have specifically to do with COVID. <clears throat> uh, one question was this. What kinds of support and encouragement can we offer to our college-age young adult children due to COVID? So I think it's a really great question. What can we offer to support? Because consider what we want to do with our children is not fix their problems, but be present and create a space for our kids where they feel like someone understands them, feels like someone hears them, and helps them understand the path. That's exactly what our college students need, and I think that's what parents need. I think that's exactly what the church can provide and actually does provide. What we need is to create spaces, places where our college students 
and our parents in different groups can actually gather and share what are they afraid of? What are they thinking? Because they're feeling the same pandemic and they're feeling the same virus of fear. But many of our young adults are being told lots of different ways to understand what's happening. And when we go out into the world, you know, you're going to get lots of different interpretations of stuff. What we, what, what we talked about today is this is how the church is going to understand the virus. So what we need for our kids is to have a place or space where they are free to share their thoughts, their questions, their fears, and their concerns. Because too often in our churches, you've got the older people who are doing the parish council and the little kids who are in Sunday school. And we're, there's this huge gap of 20-somethings and 30-somethings that in many ways people say, well, you, should, you shouldn't be on parish council or something. And there's a real gap in creating space for them to engage in the liturgical life, learn about the church, and also share their struggles and their fears. Remember, our fears and frustrations, we need to take them seriously, not out on our kids. And we take them seriously by sharing. So anything we can do as Orthodox to reach out to young adults, you know, rather than comment on their music or comment on their clothing or comment on millennials are this, millennials are that. Oh my gosh, would you go to a church when everyone's criticizing your debt? I mean, so we want to welcome them as members and create that type of space for them. We can end, what we can do is fund the church to be able to do that. Thank you. Very, very good. And I know some questions are coming in on the chat. I'm going to get through some of the, the questions we're asked ahead of time first, then we will get to the ones on chat. Another one for the from the COVID perspective. How do I manage my three children's fears about one of their parents dying from COVID when their father was afflicted with it a few months ago and almost didn't make it? So kind of excellent. A, a question of, you know, to me, that's a, a question of, of, of Fear of death in general sort of question. That's right. That's exactly right. Fear of death in general for children. How do we talk about death for children? Um, a couple of things. Number one, step one, take a deep breath and say a prayer. Are we afraid? Are we afraid? What God reveals to us is perfect love casts out all fear. That what, the more we confess our fear, the more we receive that type of love. What do we know about death? Are we afraid of death? Because when we understand what the church does, we can't go to church without hearing something about death. There's a petition, you know, before the dread judgment seat of Christ, you know, that we pray for a good defense, right? We see icons of people who have died. We hear stories about the saints who have died. But we don't say they've died. We actually think they're living. Because we live in a world and a culture that denies death and thinks that the worst thing that can happen to you is if you die. But then we go to church and we think, well, that's actually not the worst thing because actually we are all going to die. The worst thing that happen is that you die disconnected from God. And the church gives us a much different narrative about death. And so really it's an invitation to talk to our children, number one, about fear, and number two, about you know what happens when we die. And that's a nice conversation to start early on with our children and to expose our children to the lives of the saints, to the funeral service, to help them integrate death into life. We live in a culture that denies death, that tries to make it pretty with 
makeup and, you know, beautifully groomed cemeteries. We try and make it pretty. We try not to think about death at all except for one day of the year where it's as if we vomit up all of our holding back on death. You know what that one day a year is? It's coming up October 31st. This this death holiday that they glamorize death, they make it horrifying, they they try and make it funny. But those that's not the church's perspective on death. The church's perspective on death, it is a tragedy, and that Christ has overcome death. So for the church, the way to fully live our lives is in preparing for death. Not in some obsessive way, but in a sense of, all right, everything we've been talking about, acquiring patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, when we die, our souls are going to encounter God. And the more filled our souls are with God's love, the more beautiful the encounter will be. So that becomes an invitation to talk to kids about their fears. Take a deep breath, say a prayer, draw close, check in, what are you afraid of? You know, and hear their fears. And then remind them, you know what, we will be together as long as God has us together, and, you know, we leave it at that. You might, when they're older, tell them statistically it's unlikely to happen at this time, but I never promise my kids I won't die. You know, I just promise our kids, this is why we go to church, so that when we die, we're going to see each other again. But notice the way I say it is not in a fearful way, but it's in actually kind of a beautiful way, that this life is temporary. I want to raise up kids who aren't attached to this life, but to recognize this life is temporary. We are actually very fragile. We could all get an accident at any time. I don't want kids who are fear of that or fearful of that. We want kids who are prepared for that. And that's what the life of the church prepares us for. Everything we talk about, about focusing on Christ, actually helps us prepare for death. So the second thing I to say is after you talk to your child, it's really appropriate to have the child go talk to the priest. Because when you're talking about death or when you're talking about sex or when you're talking about violence or when you're talking about some of these Topics, if you don't know an answer, it's really appropriate to say, I don't know, but we can find out. Let's go ask Father. And that communicates to your child that I'm a learner too. Excellent. Thank you very much. Again, um, I'm going to put kind of three of them together on COVID. And if I may add a little, I think you kind of answered this because one of the things that's different about what you're saying than what I think a lot of people expect in our day and age is I know you, you, you're a little resistant I, 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 I could tell at the beginning about having these steps what, what, what you want to explain to us is the way of life that we should be, the view of life that we should have, the way of life, the way of, the, the way of following Christ that we need to, to, to have and this is not going to necessarily solve the problem but it's going to give us the way to walk and I think some of these are answered by that, but I'm going to kind of lump these together nonetheless. Uh, one of them was, how should a parent explain God's role in this pandemic? Um, I have not really brought God into the equation when talking about all the things that have to do with COVID and these precautions we are taking. How can I bring God into this conversation? And... Let's keep it there with those two. So number one, those are great questions. Number two, we want our children to come to us with those types of questions. Because really what we're thinking about is they're going to have a lot tougher questions when they get older. And we want to be the source for their information. 
Number three, you want to learn the answer to that because it's hard when our kids tell us something. I have no idea. But remember, number three, you can tell your child, I don't really know. Let's go ask father. I'm telling that is a good answer. You can be honest with your child. I don't know. And now number four, we talked about the story. We want to help our children make sense of struggles in this world. Because they will leave our home and people will say, well, there is no God or, you know, Woody Allen's classic. I would, if there is a God, he's an underachiever because look at what a terrible job he did. These are interpretations. But you want to use these opportunities to teach your children what they're learning in the church. Because they're going to hear the gospel story of the apostles on the boat getting scared. They're going to hear the apostles after the resurrection or during the resurrection being scared. The church does such a beautiful job, just we're not sugarcoating anything, but really putting out the apostles is in their humanity, and that's the act of love, so we can find ourselves in those stories. So what you want to communicate to your child is the orthodox understanding of these things, which is number one, it does seem scary to us because we are not in control. And then you tell your child, God is in control. But what God, well, because of sin, we're going to have these struggles in the world. But Christ promises us to be with us in the struggles. And when we turn to Christ, we actually grow no matter what happens around us. We use these struggles as an invitation to teach our children about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we use the lives of the saints. You know, why do we have a picture of St. Nicholas up or St. Nectarios? Well, if you read their stories... They didn't live in some beautiful, you know, New England town or Midwestern Mackinac Island resort place. And they had a, no, they had a lot of hardships in their lives. And we teach our children the reason this he is a saint and he is a model for us is look what he did when it was difficult. The temptation is to blame God or to say God has abandoned us. But what's really happening is in this world there is sin and there is struggle. But God joins us in the struggle. He doesn't make our lives easy, but he makes us stronger. And that's the fundamental difference. Is that God wants us to be stronger, not make our lives easier. And so any images in the world that a child would understand, like the struggle of learning math, you can help your child understand. You remember how hard it was for you to learn long division? Well, why would I, as a parent, just let you struggle? Why wouldn't I just give you the answer? And you will help the child understand that this is how God is. There's certain things, the only, there's only one way to learn long division, and nobody likes it. <laughs> it's hard. But if you have a loving parent, they don't give you the answer. But they do the hard job of sitting with you through the process. And as a parent... The one thing harder than learning long division myself as a kid is having to sit through it with my kid now to struggle with them to learn. If you take away the struggle, you take away the learning. So you don't want to say to your kids some religious platitude like, well, this will be good. If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. No, that's disrespectful. But to hear their pain, draw close, to check in, to name their struggles and to draw close, and then to invite them on the path is, whenever we're scared, let's we pray to God, 
We ask God for mercy. We pray for those who have different opinions. The child will experience the joy, the intimacy, and the love, and the peace that comes from that. We don't need to tell them what to do. We need to walk with them, and they will taste that. Thank you. So that's the difference between like religious platitudes and walking this real path. Yeah. Right, I appreciate that answer very much. Thank you. Um, I think this ends a lot of the COVID questions. Now there's a whole bunch of different questions on a variety of different subjects. Do you mind if we go through some of them, Dr. Mom? Please. A little okay. speed parenting session. Yeah. <laughs> now here's one. There's a number of them on on questions of technology. Um, let me see here. They have to do with how do I place limits for screen time on a high schooler who's 15 years old? Um, do you have any tips about using electronics? And there's another one that came through on the chat that's uh, related. Uh, you know, how do you, how how would you recommend to deal with uh, parents? Can you give us recommendations on how to deal with social media, Facebook, Twitter, all these sorts of things, Snapchat? Great, because there's a couple of things. Number one, high school is on tech. Number two, electronics in general, media, um, video games and that kind of thing. And then finally, social media, right? Those are really distinct because, you know, yeah. remember, a year ago, we were telling kids to stay off all tech. And now our kids are on tech all the time out of necessity, right? That's a real challenge. Um Number two, my kids, my teenage boys, they actually, it's harder for them to go out now because people are afraid of the pandemic. So whenever they can have parea or company, we allow that. But they socialize now by being on these video games where they're all talking together and playing together. So now it's a different thing than what it used to be. So I've, we've changed our rules where we let them go a couple of hours on a video game because they're on with their network of friends. And in many ways, this is the COVID version of going on, going to a group of teenagers, going to the mall. This is the way they connect at this time. So we got to be cautious about that because we know that tech is not the best thing for our brains. Our brains, our bodies, and our souls need something else. So part of our response to tech is to give our kids other opportunities to connect, other opportunities to be entertained, and other opportunities to be fulfilled in their lives. I really encourage us to go on the offense with this, which means get our kids to church, get our kids to real human contact, learn to engage with your kids personally, try and have a family night that's tech-free where you're doing other things like playing board games and stuff. Try to have other sorts of contact where they're, so that they're only, the, the only answer to isolation is not tech. Create those opportunities. Connect them to the life of the church as much as possible. Get yourselves into church, mask or no mask, whatever you do. Teach them how to pray. We want to feed their souls because if, we, if we're not building the light inside them, trying to cut off tech is going to be really tough. Having said that, it's really important in conversations with your kids, develop parameters and boundaries. 
sit down and make rules and guidelines with your kids. Now, for many of our kids, the cat was already out of the bag. They had his phone before we even were paying attention, and now it's really hard, you know, to get that back in. But I would recommend it. I would recommend having conversation about what are the guidelines for the phone. There need to be guidelines. Number one, what time do you get on first thing in the morning? Are you making a sign of the cross? Are you saying morning prayer? Are you eating breakfast? Are you making your bed before you get on tech? Number two, what are your tech breaks during the day? Are you going to take a tech break when it's study time? And for some of them, they're on screens, but they need their cell phone. They don't. An hour with no tech. Tech breaks during the day. And then exercise, mandatory exercise. So what we're doing is we're trying to fill their schedule with good things because the tech is going to be there. Limiting at night then, what time do you turn off your tech? And how do you turn your tech in? So that's what we're struggling towards, struggling in conversations with. We have found it's nearly impossible because, like you said, tech is school, tech is social, and then tech is social media. For the social media, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, that we want to set limits to that because that's different. When you're playing a, a video game uh, with your friends, that's different than the social media. But in many ways, my kids' Instagram, like I used to use a telephone, that's really how teenagers communicate. So then it becomes a conversation of, do I need access to it? Because I'm going to monitor the types of chat you do. And so that's our goal, is to get access so that they know we are with them. My kids think it's ridiculous that I need access, passwords, and access. And I tell them, I wouldn't send you into downtown Boston unattended. Why would I send you into social media in the World Wide Web without being attended? So I will tell you, this is an enormously challenging task. I'm not very tech savvy. It's particularly hard when my kids have more tech aptitude than I do. It's particularly hard when only one parent is doing that. That's really difficult. So really, uh, I think parenting in many ways is not about getting your kids off of tech or even getting them to clean their room. What it is is staying in the struggle in the right way of getting them to clean the room and getting them off of tech. That you want to stay as close as you can and sometimes it's just being a thorn in their side to say no. I know it's not good, that didn't work, but I'm still coming back. Your loving struggle in that is communicating to them to pay attention. Because they might leave your home at 19 years old and they've never learned how to clean their room. But if you've stayed in that struggle in a respectful way, they're going to realize a clean room is what I need to do. If you, Rather than criticizing them or controlling them or getting angry at them or quitting. The same thing with tech. You might never have a schedule that actually works for very long. But the goal is when our kids go to school, off to college, what's left inside is your voice that says, set limits to tech. This thing can get in control. This is the temptation. It's, it's good, potentially, but destructive, potentially. So we can win even in the losing. Thank you. I, I like that. It reminds me kind of the opposite of that. A phrase that we hear, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, when actually we want to keep doing the same thing over and over, and yes, we expect some other thing down the road. Because I'm glad you said that. That's exactly right. But if, we're, if our same thing is yelling and criticizing, right. no. 
But if the same thing is every time you go on your phone after 11, you're going to have your mom in your face that says, where's that phone? Not angry and critical, but that's right. Every day, it was like, we're going to still have the struggle. They got off to school without making their bed. All right, time to go back up and make your bed. Every day, we're going to do that same struggle. Because what they're going to internalize is our inner life. They won't remember their bedroom. They'll remember us. Because our most powerful way to teach is modeling. So just a real quick funny story. So my wife sees no purpose for video games. She just looks and just cannot understand the purpose of this, right? And, and our boys love video games. But my wife, she almost can't even have a conversation with them because it just serves no purpose. Now, I'm against video games, but it's really clear to her. So she'll just have nothing to do with it. We don't really play video games with our kids. So they watch the movie. They watch the movie, and in the movie, the mom was addicted to video games. And my son, 14, was so confused and horrified that he walked around and said, A mom? Getting playing video games, let alone getting hooked on it? Moms don't do that. And it was interesting because my wife had never said mothers do not play video games. She had, she had said nothing, but he had internalized an image of what it means to be an adult woman. And what it means to him is video games are nonsense. And so that was already happening so that when he grows up, he'll know what it means to be an adult. An adult is not someone who plays video games all day. It's someone who takes care of, serves God, and serves care of others without us even saying anything. This is why Sister Magdalene writes, talk more to God about your children than your children than to your children about God. Because they are developing an image of what it means to be an adult by how we conduct ourselves. And they're developing an image of who they are, valuable, lovable, respectable, by how we treat them. So we can lose a lot of battles about tech and still win the war of modeling to them what it means to be an adult. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, here's another one. What would be your suggestion for parenting young teens who are very connected, who are very connected to you, meaning the parent, but also wanting to exert independence as far as church attendance goes or discussing our faith or prayers? For now we treat it as gently but firmly as possible and require them to come with us. But should we be doing anything different or additional? So it's a great question. Uh, and I would say my view of mandating church, right? Do you require your 14-year-old or 15-year-old to go to school? Absolutely. Why do we do that? Are we, are we afraid that they'll turn against education because they were forced to go to school? Do we require our kids to shower? Do we require them not to lie or to cheat or to steal? These are non-negotiables, aren't they? Why? Because we believe them to be fundamentally true. We're not afraid that if we say no stealing in this house, that our kid will be a kleptomaniac or our kid will hate school because he was forced to go to school. No, rather we communicate to our children the significance of school for his or her life. And then they start understanding, oh, I don't like school, but it's mandatory. I understand its meaning and its purpose. Church needs to be communicated like education. 
It's non-negotiable. But notice, the question was, is there room for discussion? Is there room for our kids to say, I don't believe in God. I don't understand this. Because we should require our children to go to church, just like we require them to go to school, just like we require them to go to bed. But what we oftentimes forget is we should listen to them. What makes it hard to go to school? What makes it hard to go to church? Why do we go to school? Why do we go to church? So that becomes an invitation for us to learn, why do we force our kids to go to church? And recognize we want to understand that church is where we become human. Church is our identity. Church, God created everything. And he doesn't tell us go to church every day. He says go to church the first day of the week, the first part of the day. Because when we offer back to God a little bit of what he's given us, it allows us to become fully human. It allows us to have healthy relationships. It allows us to thrive. That's it. If we disconnect from the source of life, we're slowly going to die. It's like cutting a, a, a fruit off from the tree. What's going to happen? So you want to teach your kids. The reason we go to church is because we need to stay connected to the source of life. Once you could disconnect from the source of life, you're going to start to die. So that's why it's mandatory. But consider, we can have a conversation. Consider, I'm going to listen to your concerns, what you believe and what you don't believe. And also consider, am I forcing them to do everything? Am I forcing them to dress a certain way, clean their room a certain way, you know, talk a certain way? you know, like a certain activity. Because if I'm forcing my kid to do everything, our child is going to grow up to reject everything. But if we're forcing certain things, and then we allow some flexibility on other stuff. Like, for example, I don't prohibit video games in our home, even though I wish I could. I don't watch that nonsense. But my kids love it. But I force church on Sunday. And I'm not going to criticize the video game. I'm going to ask him what's fun. We'll set some limits. No violent, no shooting games. No shooting human being videos. You can shoot inanimate objects, but you can't shoot images of human beings. So notice, the strictness about church and school needs to be in the context of a relationship where we're listening and in a, giving them choices in the other areas of their lives. Thank you. Um, about how much more time do we have, Dr. Mamalakis? So, how are you feeling? How about 10 more minutes? Uh, t okay. Well, well, I'll take questions until noon. I'm happy to take questions until noon. Okay, then then I'll, I will, I'll take a few more here then. I would keep doing the questions. I'll try and keep my answers brief, and I will invite people. If things come up, if you have questions about my answers, write them in the chat. I'm happy to stay in a conversation until noon. You can also take, turn your camera on, you know, if you want to ask a question, and maybe, Father, you can, people can answer questions themselves. So, uh, but please, continue. Okay. Um, how does a parent who has one child that's special needs and struggles to focus on the healthy older child to give them love and presence, to give them love and presence, let me, let me read it again. How does a parent who has one child that has special needs and struggles to focus on the healthy older child to give them love and presence, overcome this focus on the sick child and give more attention to the healthy child? The draw-in step you mentioned is, is hard in this situation. Absolutely, absolutely. 
I do want to say hi to Juliana. I just, I have my little goddaughter there. Look at that. Hi, guys. It's a little distracting. Father, that's an excellent question. Um, because when we think about parenting, it's really easy to lose sight of some of our children. And a child with special needs, or when a child is really sick, or when a child is really uh, requires a lot of attention. Let's say they're they're really active in a sport and they're really good at soccer. So now all the parents' resources are devoted to one child for whatever reason. It's really easy for the other child children to feel left out and unattended. And this happens a lot with special needs children because the child with special needs just holds a lot of the resources. Number one, we want to recognize that as parents. Number two, we want to teach our children that love is not a zero-sum commodity. If I only have $100, yeah, if I give $90 to your brother, you're only getting 10 But love is different. Love is limitless. I can give limitless love to your brother and also limitless love to you because love multiplies. Number three, they need to experience that. They need to experience that when my sibling gets love and attention, that does not mean I get less of it. And the way we do that is by those four steps, taking a deep breath, saying a prayer. Draw close and check into the sibling who's feeling neglected and unattended. Don't explain to them any, anything. Listen to them. Ask them, when do you feel unattended? Name their struggle. It's hard when all this time is spent on my brother and I don't have any special time. I feel like you love him more. Give them a voice. Name that struggle. It is hard. I can't come to your soccer game because your brother needs me here. That is hard. You know, I have seven children. And, you know, I think all of them have at some point realized that actually, if we didn't have so many children, you'd be able to spend a lot more time with me. We'd be able to travel more. Now, I actually lost a lot of stuff because of my siblings. And my answer is yes, that is true. I can name that. You know, I have to take care of your little siblings. I can't get to your school. That's true. And I ask them what it's like. Right? That's step three. Step four is what to do. Two things. Create special time for each child. So the non-special needs child needs to have something special. Every morning, you and I do this alone. You and I are have something special here. You create something special with each child and name it. So my kids laugh at me because I tell them, you're, you know, you're my favorite oldest child. You're my favorite youngest child. You create, each person is a totally unique category where they are number one. And this really reflects God's love because each one of us is in a totally unique category and we're number one in God's eyes in that. That's the nature of God's love. So, and, and create those things. Have something special you do with them. You do some sort of activity, do some sort of ritual and carve out even a little time to do that. And then what I tell my kids, part of that is interpreting, yes, you lost some things because of siblings. But actually, you gain some things that you can only get from having a sibling. And what you lost 
tends to be things of this world, material things. What we gain is that intimacy and love of relationships. And I tell my kids, that's what makes a rich life. Not the stuff you have, but the relationships of love with God and each other. Of course, they laugh me and they mock me. and So I tell them I'm one of the richest people, families I know. We've got seven kids. I feel sorry for those poor families with only two children. Notice, I'm just having this conversation about the values. Because I want my kids to be oriented toward that. They, they, they dismiss me, as they should. But I do believe it's true. I believe we have as many kids as God, you know, right? Some of us are called to have two, some of us seven. Some of us are called to have a special needs child, some of us not. What we recognize is God's hand in this process, and that he's given us the best thing, which is himself. So we do those creative things, have those special times, and uh, help them in, understand that as you name their struggles. Very good. Here's another question. Our 16-year-old son is very defiant at times, refusing to obey simple house rules for sometimes days. Super stubborn. We can't physically force him to follow the rules. Someone would literally get injured. So we give consequences, but that doesn't seem to, defer the de to deter the defiance. We have three other children, all younger, and it is very disrupting to them and our family peace. We homeschool, and I'm just emotionally and mentally at my wit's end with how to survive this. My son has a very soft and kind heart at times, but when he is in defiant mode, his stubbornness knows no end. Constant talking back, giving us his parents' ultimatums, etc., just makes me feel like I might snap and my poor husband is gone 50 hours a week and does what he can when he comes home. Any advice would be deeply appreciated. Step one, take a deep breath and say a prayer. Why? Because we need strength for this. We need strength. And we're not going to solve the problem because that child is not a problem to solve, but it's a person to draw near and love. Step two is check in. Because what you see oftentimes is very soft and kind-hearted kids are really struggling with something. And if you're telling me it's a home with four kids, I'm the oldest, which means maybe mom's getting pulled to the other kids. I'm the oldest boy. I'm feeling isolated, disconnected, and alone. I'm feeling like I'm not really feeling connected to anyone. Dad is super gone. It's very easy to paint a picture where I'm just really lonely and in pain and not really happy. And no one's really checking in with me. Instead, I'm getting criticized and called stubborn. So we want to change that. We want to change our hearts and invite, see who can reach in and help create a space or a relationship where this 15-year-old can share with someone. It can happen as simple as changing the relationship with your mom, where you try and have one-on-one -on -one time. It's really tough to do, but even the effort is meaningful. Peaceful presence. Do not go to him and say, well, tell me what's wrong with you. Tell me what's wrong with you. Why? Because I don't know what's wrong with me, and I sure as heck don't know how to put it into words. I'm just feeling sad, lonely, and, you know, and not really happy. But being that peaceful presence, a smile that communicates, it's okay whatever you're struggling with, and I love you. Uh, number two, get dad involved in any way possible. Oftentimes children misbehave in exactly the same ways their parents misbehaved when they were that age. So what kind of person is dad? Was he the same kind of temperament? Was that just a hard period? 
We kind of pull back the camera. Instead of looking at a problem child, we look at human nature and human beings. That allows us to have mercy and compassion as your son walks through these struggles. Because we want to respond with mercy and compassion. God knows what to do if we're homeschooling families during COVID. It's super isolation. Keep in mind opportunities to allow your child to connect in healthy ways with peers, with youth groups, with camp friends, with parish friends, with a parish priest. One of our goals is to get our young teenagers and young adults connected to the church. So anything we can do to facilitate that. In the meantime, I caution you. I try not to call him stubborn. That is negative. And when we think about our kids as stubborn, we get tense and we lose our peace. If my kids are stubborn, it's probably because of me anyway. They inherited my stubbornness or they're modeling my stubbornness. But that doesn't serve our purpose. When you feel that defiance, say a prayer for him. And figure out a way to gently check in and say, Philip, tell me, what's troubling you? And then leave it at that. Give him the space to come to you. And then find other people who can do the same thing. Thank you. Next. Um, Here's another one. How would you advise the parents of a teen girl who is reluctant to interact with her family at all and harshly criticizes her siblings and even her parents when she does? So notice what you have is you have these gendered responses to whatever they're troubled with. When a boy isn't feeling well, he might act out aggressively. When a girl isn't feeling well, she might withdraw or be critical. It's not entirely gendered because it also has to do with our temperaments. But the point is that we, we diagnose misbehavior as an inner struggle. Because the same thing, if she's feeling critical towards her siblings, is she feeling jealous and uncared for? Is her little sister so adorable that everyone loves on the little sister and no one pays attention to her? It's really hard in family relationships to not have that type of virus of envy, you know, infect. We want to be careful as parents if we're not feeding that virus by comparing the kids. Why can't you behave like your sister? You're the only one who always complains. You always start the problem. Or parents, oftentimes, without being aware of it, will always take the younger sibling's side. So the younger sibling will antagonize, antagonize, and the older one will react, and then mom comes in, and, or dad, and gets mad at the older one. When we, if we can shift our focus to what is that girl struggling with, and create a space for her to share that with mom, with dad, with a friend, with a priest, drawing close, checking in, naming the struggle will then allow us to set limits. When you're upset, you need to go to your room. And I would still add what I said before. Do you have one thing special you do with that child every week? Even at bedtime, read a book, journal, whatever they like to do, listen to their crazy music. Create those special moments one-on-one -on -one 
because it really communicates to our children that there is something really unique about exactly who you are. That's the walking alongside. Because whatever our child struggles with, whether it's shyness and criticism or stubbornness, whatever, they will do better when they got a sense that my dad or my mom is on my side and understands me. Then we can correct them and guide them. Thank you. I'm going on to chat, and the question is, how could we go about explaining that anxiety is expected, not a sin or a lack of faith, which might make kids feel worse? Beautiful. Great question. How can we communicate that anxiety or fear or worry is a normal fallen human response rather than telling them religious platitudes like if you love God you wouldn't be scared or we should just love God and not be afraid. It's really important. This is why there are four steps that it's important to allow children to name their struggles and just empathize. That when my kids complain about anything, the first step is, I understand, that is hard, this is a bummer, I understand you're upset. We name that, because naming that communicates welcome to the human race. It communicates we are all learning something. It communicates respect for who you are, and it's that love, respect. That connects us, that care, that serves as the context for the child to grow in love such that they're not afraid anymore. But what I tell my children is courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is choosing to do what's right when you are afraid. And when we are worried, it's okay to feel worried. What we want to learn how to do is walk in truth no matter what we're feeling. So we don't condemn the feelings, we name the feelings, and we point the path. And in this way, it's not a religious platitude, and it's not a criticism. It's what Christ did. Christ did not perfect us from far away, or come down and tell us, just be perfect. He took on our humanity, in a sense saying, it's okay, I understand. But by taking it on and drawing close, we are going to resurrect from the dead. We will live eternally. We will be perfected. Thank you. May I add something to that that I was thinking? Please. Just, just briefly, the, to, thinking about the scriptures, there are numerous occasions when people, and you, you mentioned some of them already as you began. You talked about uh, St. Peter in the boat. We can talk about Martha when she's with her sister serving the Lord. We can look at Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, before, before his crucifixion. All of these things express the real human understanding that uh, worry and anxiety can come upon us. And in each and every case, God is asking us when we have these things to direct our thoughts, direct our, 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 our minds to him and to follow him, starting with step Step one, with breathing and prayer and, and, and all the things that you mentioned. So we see all of these things even in the scriptures that they are 
a normal a normal part of our fallen nature a normal part of our struggle toward Christ yes exactly and we are called to offer it up not deny it but the difference between love and religious platitudes is self-offering Christ did not give us religious platitudes he gave us himself what I'm inviting us to do today is those four steps are draw close and offer yourself to your child not some sort of religious platitude and when they feel your presence and they feel your love because you're not condemning them Christ is present and that's transforming very good another one stemming from the very beginning of your your talk on Kamalakis how do we acquire a spirit of peace through repeatedly going to Christ in prayer through staying silent through giving our thoughts over to Christ what a great question how do we acquire a spirit of peace my answer is what if you wanted to build your muscles how would you acquire large muscles father how would you answer that what's the only way to acquire large muscles oh by ordering something from uh, TV that says if you just take that supplement <laughs> oh, you gotta work out you gotta exercise you gotta practice it there's only one way and that is to to struggle we have to go through that tension you cannot acquire peace which is God himself it's the Holy Spirit without encountering struggle so yes the, the question was great I should pray and I should do this but if I'm not embracing the struggle if I'm thinking that struggle is bad or that struggle is your fault or how about this one that struggle shouldn't happen you're essentially spitting out the medicine that God has given me. It's like going to the gym. I wonder about people who like going to the gym. I understand that some people do. But we recognize that if we want to acquire peace, which is God himself, I would say when you have a hardship, when you don't get your way, when something seems wrong to you or when things are overwhelming, Take a deep breath and say glory to God. Because that's like my boys actually saying thank you for helping me here. That is such an act of love and such an act of faith that when we accept what God is giving us, he transforms us. And then we do the same things, the prayer, you know, the confession. But we have to, we have to recognize if we want peace. Remember, Christ said, if you desire to follow me, if, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, if you want to follow me, condemn the cross I'm giving you, spit on that cross, you know, get mad at that cross and follow me. No. He said, take up that cross. And that cross is not your spouse or your kids. That cross is that inner tension, that struggle. So I have found, I hate the struggle and I say, thank God for the struggle. Because I know, I want that peace. And the beautiful thing about the Orthodox way it's God doesn't say, suck it up, suck it up, and when you die, you'll get a big fat prize. Oh, no. That we acquire peace today, increasingly. Every step we take, we get more peace. Every time you repent from snapping at your kids or losing your patience, every time you say, forgive me, and you go to confession, we actually acquire more peace. And then it's become, our houses can be filled with peace in this age and in the age to come when we take that seriously.
But we can't simultaneously get mad at our kids for disturbing our peace and then say we really want peace. We cannot simultaneously blame our husband or wife and then say we want Christ's peace. Because literally, your husband is what God gave you, is who God gave you to acquire peace. And your children is who God gave you. And your wife doesn't get in the way of peace. Learning to love your wife is the path of acquiring peace. Beautiful. Thank you, Father Doctor. Um, another one. What do you? What advice do you have for parents of children who can't seem to be able to focus anymore? Lack of, they have a lack of drive to do anything. Don't cooperate and thus bring out their parents' negative emotions, create a tense atmosphere in the household. Okay, great question. Number one, our kids can't bring out our negative emotions if we have no negative emotions. Children are designed to push our buttons, and that's by design so that we learn which buttons we need to unwire. We want to approach this struggle as an invitation for me to heal first and foremost. So when I fail, not yet, I want to get back up again. Number two, we got to ask ourselves, why are they behaving like that? Are they going stir crazy? Is their whole world upside down? Most likely that's true. Are there unsolvable problems? We got to get into those first, those four steps. Take a deep breath. I say a prayer. Draw close to them. Check in. Check with them regularly. When my boys are going stir crazy, we call a timeout. If we can get them outside, we get them outside. We need a regrouping session. We need 30 minutes of everyone separated in their corners. And then come back and think intentionally about what it's like. Name our struggles and then figure out a plan for the day. We got to respect their process and their learning. So whenever I lose it, that's what I do. I don't want to pass an, uh, miss an opportunity to grow, so I'm going to repent. And number two, I'm going to live to parent another day. Even though I failed yesterday, I'm going to live to parent another day. And we're going to take their needs seriously, take their struggles seriously, and then figure out what they need. What's their exercise? What's their diet? What's their sleep? What's their social connection? And what's their soul? It's like, you know, when you, when you have a new baby, there's only five things they cry about. So you just go through the list of the five things, right? Change a diaper, get them fed, colicky, whatever. When our kids misbehave, they're those things that, you know, are they just learning? Do they need to go outside and run? Do they need a nap? Do they need to eat something? Do they need a break for each other? Do they need a hug? We go back and attend to them as persons and make a plan going forward. Thank you. How you doing, Father? You want to do a few more? A few more. I, I, I can wrap about three of them basically into one. The, the three questions have to do with uh, we're running low on patience in this uh, in this pandemic with everything that's going on. And uh, sometimes we yell or we're at the yelling stage or I feel my anger is boiling. I know there's a little bit of separation in these things, but the general idea yes. is how do I keep the patience? How do I stop from yelling? How can I um, move away from anger during this period? Great question. Number one, self-care. And number two, set limits. So when I say self-care, what I mean is we got to take everything we've talked about today seriously. I need to really be attentive to where I'm struggling. Who am I, am I handling my inner tension appropriately? Because I need to learn how to handle my frustrations and my struggles. I need to take them seriously, not take them out of my kid. What does that mean? Take self-care seriously. Do I need to take a little five-minute break in the morning? Do I need to learn how to journal? Do I need to talk to my priest? 
Do I need to have a group of moms to meet with to share our struggle? Do I need to ask Father to host like a once a month parenting night where we can just share our struggle? That type of self-care. Self-care has to do with looking at my day. Is it too much for me? Do I need to rethink how I'm doing things? Do I need to rethink my, how I'm uh, working on uh, things with my spouse? We are more likely to get overwhelmed if there's unattended tension in the marriage. Does that, do I need to take that seriously? So self-care looks at all of that thing. Do I need to talk to the Father about a prayer rule? Right? Do I, need to, do I need to take care of my exercise? How is my sleep? Right? Because when we get to the edge of our abilities, human abilities, it becomes an invitation to rethink and to uh, uh, reevaluate what going forward means. Self-care. Number two, set limits. We are human. We're not supposed to be saints yet. We're not supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit yet. We read great stories of, you know, just tremendous patience in the saints. Well, that's our goal. That's not where we are right now. And where we are right now is not there, which means we're going to come to the end of our ability to be patient. We need to recognize that. And we need to respect that. And we respect that in two ways. Setting limits to our kids before we lose our cool. And number two, repenting and saying, it is my fault. I want to grow in patience. But until I'm growing, I need to set a limit here. Because oftentimes we think patience is letting our kids go on and on and on until we blow up gasket or until we frazzle. No, we need to learn the next time. I'm going to live to parent another day. The next day, I'm setting limits to the volume of the kids right away. No loud voices in the house. Because last time, it just drew me crazy. Or I need to set a limit. Be strict on how they talk. Be strict on who goes where. You know, because God loves us so much, he's going to have the same, give us the same problem the next day. Because our kids are going to fight about the next day. You still have a dinner the next day. They're still getting up in the morning the next day. You have to make the bed the next day. He loves us so much, he's going to send us that little problem the next day. Here, here's another shot at it. We should embrace that. Live to parent another day. What limits am I going to set that to myself and to my children? What did I learn from this? So that tomorrow I'm going to do something different. And for that, we can reflect. For that, we can talk to our spouse. For that, we can meet as a group of parents at the church. For that, we can read a book. For that, we can call someone, call a, a trusted friend or a parent who's 10 years down the road in terms of age of children, whom we respect. Because we are a learning community. We are a community of disciples. And the more we access that and embrace that, the more we're going to live to parent another day. Okay, thank you. I think we probably have time for about two questions. Uh, and the first one, I'm kind of combining another two questions. Uh, can you give us, Dr. Mamalakis, any advice on sibling rivalry and tangentially related to that, though you, I think you've covered it before. Um, how do I... Uh, where did it come from? Um, forgive me, I'm looking at the other one. Oh, I've been spending time. Um, I have uh, a number of kids, and I'm spending more time with my younger ones because they need my attention more, and my oldest one doesn't understand that I need to spend more time with the younger ones. How can I get him to learn that and understand I have to spend more time with the younger ones? Okay, uh, let me take the second part, too. I don't think you want to get the oldest one to understand that you need to spend time with the youngest one. 
I think you want to communicate to the oldest one how much you love and respect him. And you're going to do that by letting the oldest one share how he's feeling and share how he's thinking without explaining to him that, sorry, I just have to do that. That feels disrespectful to me if I go to my mom and say, you know, you're spending more time with them than me. Because what I'm really saying is, I miss you, I feel alone and disconnected. But I'm just 15 or 12, I can't, I don't know how to say that. But imagine if, you, if your child tells you, I'm feeling alone and disconnected and I'm longing to be with you. And your parent answers, well, you need to understand, I need to spend more time with the other kid. That's painful. But what if the mom says, thank you for sharing. Let's look at what you and I can do that's special. So remember, when a kid comes to you and says, you're spending more time with them than with me, what they're really saying is, I'm longing to be with you. Answer that question. What's the answer to I'm longing to be with you? Thank you for sharing. Let's do something special. And then what you can have is you can bring the oldest one in to have special privileges and special responsibilities and a special set of, of things so that they feel like I'm uniquely loved for who I am. So civil rivalry oftentimes is related to that type of dynamic. Uh, and we kind of touched on it a little bit when we talked about be careful of preferential treatment, or actually I'd say confess it because it's very natural in our fallen way to have preferential treatment. It's rare that a parent doesn't show preference to one child. So I say for everyone on this call, I would encourage you to assume that you show preferential treatment because that'll allow you to really uh, learn and grow in parenting. So what I tried to do in my parenting, I could tell I preferred certain kids to other. And I'm okay with being a fallen human being. I just want to grow. So I could tell whatever I would do to one child instinctively, I would choose to do to the other intentionally. I can't change my instinct that I like some more than others, but I can change my behavior such that I show love to them each uniquely in that way. So siblings without, uh, there's a great book, Siblings Without Rivalry, which really nicely unpacks understand sibling rivalry. You know, and you could use the four steps where you intervene and you empathize with both children. You take each children's side, draw close and check in, name each one of their struggles, and then point the way towards patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Because in sibling rivalry, they're going to come at you with a blame story. The other kid is to blame, and I did nothing. Zero. I did nothing. And they both have that beautiful story. And by the way, that's like the story of marriage. When couples come in, oh, it's my spouse's fault. It's not really me. But when our kids have that, we got to be careful not to find out who's right or wrong. That's a trap. Rather, you want to empathize with each child. Name each child's struggle and then set a limit where a limit needs to be set or a consequence. Because one might have hit and the other didn't hit, but the first one may have been antagonized. And we're not interested in finding blame. We're interested in finding repentance. The goal of intervening is to help each child feel connected to you and take responsibility for anything they did. And the way we're going to have a child feel connected to us and take responsibility is just doing those four steps. Peacefully checking in, peacefully naming their struggle, and peacefully setting a limit or pointing the way. 
Now, in the moment, it's going to feel like you did nothing, and it's going to happen again. And like you said, Father, normally you think doing the same thing and the same thing and nothing happens. But in many ways, parenting over 18 years is a lot you know, of these little moment-to-moment -moment interactions. Each individual interaction <clears throat> seems you know, pretty insignificant. But consider how many times we're going to have these incidences in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year over 18 years. And I've mentioned this at my talks because I think it's a beautiful image that if we are, pursue, are learning and growing and acquiring peace in those little interactions, that after 18 years, when our child leaves the home, they're going to forget about the sibling robbery. They're going to forget about everything except who we are. And what they're left with is this beautiful image of what's true and right. So I compare it to like sculpting a statue. You know, I'm not a sculptor. But I just know that a beautiful sculpted statue is not five strategic cuts, but thousands of little chips. Each individual chip, practically meaningless or almost completely insignificant, but the sum total of 10,000 chips, and you've got a masterpiece. Or like the uh, Impressionist painting, the Monet paintings that are these little dots, each little dot in and of itself is almost completely insignificant. But the sum total of 10,000 dots, you have a masterpiece. So when we're thinking about parenting, we recognize that parenting is the sum total of these little interactions we have through the day. And each one is almost itself completely insignificant. We might even feel like we did nothing. But the sum total of 18 years of pursuing this, following Christ in the struggle, praying, taking a deep breath, checking in, naming your feelings, pointing the way, the sum total of 18 years of those little interactions and what you're left with is a masterpiece. And so what we need to do as parents is to gather together and have this time together where we can support each other. So what I'd like to say maybe in conclusion is, you know, when I give a parenting talk or hear a parenting talk, it helps me remind me, like for the rest of the day, I'll be like, yeah, you're right, patience, kindness, you know, I'll do it. But after two or three days, you know what happens to me? Oh, I start slipping back into these old patterns. I get frustrated or overwhelmed. And you know what would be really helpful to me, and I like to end talks like this, is what if we met again in, in two weeks and I could share with you my struggles, you know, and we could share our struggles. I don't need you to correct me or tell me how come you did that or tell me what to do. I just need you to, you know, be peaceful, like, Take a deep breath and say a prayer. Maybe just draw close and check in to me and say, what happened? How was your week? And it'd be really nice. If, oh, I need a few to empathize. That's hard, Dr. Bumwalk. It must be hard to be out. And then just point the way. Just remind me about the past. I don't need to be corrected. I don't need to be fixed. I'm not a problem to be solved. I'm a person to be loved who's learning. And what I need from others is just to draw close and walk with me. What we need as parents, it's exactly what I'm suggesting our children need from us. And during the pandemic, that hasn't changed. It's just we have to be more strict and more intentional about it. Dr. Mamalakis, thank you very, very much for all your time for this uh, great discussion that you've brought for us. And for taking so many questions, for spending so much time with us. We really, really appreciate this. I know we didn't get to all the questions, but I think the beautiful thing about Dr. Mompelak is if I may add a, a thing here, one of the beautiful things about his presentation is 
that it, it's not meant to answer every single individual question, but to give us the way in which we should walk and the way to approach these, these issues. And we can, you can find more of this. He's written an excellent book titled uh, Parenting Towards the Kingdom. Uh, it's available on Amazon and many other places. And we hope that uh, you, uh, many of you I know have already read the book and have, uh, a lot of the uh, questions that came back to Mamalaki's, uh, thank you for writing the book and for coming on here personally uh, to do this. Uh, please check those things out so that you can uh, continue to learn more about this. And uh, I hope sometime uh, down the road, just as you said, we can do this again. And uh, uh, I, I really, I, it was a great talk. I think we had... Uh, a lot of people that were very interested in this, and I hope that uh, we'll get this opportunity again. It's really a pleasure uh, to have you come on with us, Dr. Malakis. Thank you so much for having me and for making this happen, Father. Of course. My, our, our pleasure. Our pleasure. And uh, since we began in prayer, I think we should end in prayer too, Dr. Malakis. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen, Lord Jesus Christ, our God. Once again, we thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for allowing... Dr. Philip to be on with us today and to impart to us the wisdom that he has learned over time, both as a psychiatrist and also as a psychologist and psychiatrist and also as a faithful Orthodox Christian and father. We ask that you continue to grant him and his family peace. We also ask that you keep us all healthy and safe and continue to be with us throughout all of our struggles. For your holy now and forever to the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we truly appreciate it, Dr. Mamalakis. Thank you very much. God bless.